you pray with me? God, we are so grateful to you for your determination to know us, to be present with us, every one of us, and to renew our city. And we pray, God, that you might instruct us and build us up toward that end. In the name of your Son, in Christ's name, amen. Well, I am uh, always glad when I can be here and worship with you. I just can say I love your music. Um, I just love it. You know, in our network, there's different songs that are being sung to God, and I just feel strengthened in my heart when I'm here and uh, reminded of our collective mission in this network, this Grace DC network. Our purpose is to be in and for the city, in and for the city. That means that we are city positive. It means that we have great dreams and hopes for the city that we're dwelling in. And uh, this doesn't come from our own optimism. I mean, if it were just ours, we would faint. But it comes from the mind of God. It comes from the hope of God, the idea of a renewed city. And if you take time to read the Bible, you notice something about it, and that is the significance it places upon the city. Now, other faiths, Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, they may put emphasis on a holy city, one holy city. But the Christian scriptures talk about the importance of the city in general, the city all over the earth, the significance of it. And so it has particular insight for us. We call this often uh, our theology of place. You know, it's our book that has all those hard-to-pronounce places, right? It's our book that has all these, it seems like, random references to places. You know, so-and-so was buried by the Oaks of Mamre. You know, Jesus met this person at this one. You think, why? Why all these mention of place? Because God made the place. He's going to sustain the place. He redeems the place. And one day, he's going to renew the place completely. This is the vision of the Christian faith. And in every city, there are really two cities being built. There is a city being built that's being built uh, according to the vision of God, with the power of God, with the gifts of God, the community of God. And then there's another city being built, and that's the city of man, the city that we try to build by our own power and for our own glory and for our own strength. In Isaiah's day, that city was Babylon, the great city of Babylon. Uh, known all over the world for its glory in the ancient world. And whenever in the Bible you see Babylon referenced, even later in the New Testament, it's talking about a certain spirit of a city, a city that tries to build itself up by its own glory and its own strength. And what Isaiah gives us here is a picture of two different cities. One is the strong city, the other is the weak city. The strong city is the city that God is building. The weak city is the city that men and women and children often try to build by their own hands. And so this morning, I want to take a little bit of time and have us think about what does this strong city, weak city mean in our city? What does it mean 
in dis the District of Columbia, and by extension, the greater DC metro area. So I wanna do this by looking at three comparisons. And the first one is the worshipful city versus the wasted city. The worshipful city versus the wasted city. Uh, the passage began by saying the wasted city is broken down. Now that word wasted is the same Hebrew word that's used in the book of Genesis before the creation of the world. It essentially means formless, uh, something that has not reached its potential yet, has not come into being in terms of its purpose and its meaning. So this is the city that has failed to realize its purpose and its high calling. Uh, a wonderful uh, Old Testament scholar, a guy named Alec Matir, said this about the passage we read. Without the ordering, life-giving hand of God, the formless city opts for a life on its own, within itself, depending on itself. Consequently, it is unstable and without purpose, spinning on the wheel but having dismissed the potter. Life is simply one thing after another, rejecting the moral absolutes, everything is relative and ultimately individualistic. Humankind's great world city is the city without meaning. Now, you can have the most developed city in terms of the economy, developed in terms of the culture, but really just have a surface city and not a soul city. A soul city is one that understands its deeper meaning, its deeper purpose. It isn't just satisfied with cosmetic changes. And a citizen in that city, in that city, that surface city, well, they might enjoy the amenities and pleasure of the city, but it doesn't really last. We read here in the uh, verses prior to the ones that the wine mourns, the merry-hearted sigh, the tambourines are stilled, the strong drink even tastes bitter. It's a picture of people that are partying, but they're not getting the buzz anymore. And cities can often function this way. People come to cities for a buzz. Maybe it's a career buzz. They come to sort of build up and reach marks and hit achievements. Or maybe it's just a playground buzz. I want to come and experience the nightlife. But what happens after a while, it just doesn't do it. It leaves us discontent. We find ourselves bored, and many times people just move on. From that point. And so that's the vision. It's really a city that people come to use rather than to serve, love, and build up the common good. And so the weak city has those hallmarks to it. Compared to the strong city, if you go to the book of Genesis, what you find is the Lord, after he creates the world, he lays before the man and woman the city of incredible, or rather this, this world of incredible potential wondrous potential. I mean, all these things. And then he commissions them, I want you to go develop and cultivate. In fact, cities ultimately, our, our calling in life is what you might call cultural gardening. City gardening. I mean, we have little gardens in the city, but we're talking about making the entire city flourish and grow. This was always the vision of God when he created men and women. Adam and Eve were supposed to not just sit there and do a garden, they were supposed to go build cities and build out the world. 
which leads to this idea of cities have always been places of great collaboration. You know, cities at their best are places where people come and they bring their talent and their thought and their gifts and they put them all together and new things, new markets, new products, new ideas. And we see that in our city, in the global cities of the world. But for that to really have significance, we've got to get to the worshipful city. That's the strong city. Now that word worship historically means worth-ship. Something that has worth and value and meaning. That's the background of that word. And you know, all of us are doing this all the time. It's simply to, to extol the value and greatness of something. You know, we do it with our sports teams. You know, we do it with the music that we listen to. I, I saw a, um, speaking of sports, there was a commercial on, I saw last night for NBC Sports. And it was one of these things where they were showing, you know, great athletic scenes of prowess and then words would just flash up. Words like work, sweat, love. And then I saw one that said worship. Not too far off the mark, right? I mean, we basically worship our sports teams. We worship our sports. We put our whole bodies into it. Or music. My daughter came back with some of her friends from college uh, two weeks ago, and uh, these were a bunch of uh, gals that had never seen D.C. or the city. And, man, my, my daughter, it was so great. If you're raising kids in the city, I want to give you this encouragement. As, as they were coming into the city, she texted me and said, I'm tearing up as I see the city. You know, just uh, that just the loves. But she showed that thing off so much, they were dead by Saturday. I mean, these, these kids were like, you know, let us just sleep. But she took them one night to the 930 Club and, and um, you know, showed me some of the video footage. Um, it was probably selective video footage, right? But anyway, showed me some of the video footage. And, you know, here they were, you know, doing this, like, really odd, you know, dance. If you were from another culture, you'd be like, what is this thing they're doing? But, you know, when we extol and value things, we move. So if you're here, you know, like, in looking into the Christian faith, haven't been to church a lot, and you came in and you're like, what's going on? People are going like this and going that. Well, you have a reference point for it. God has lit up the heart so much, you can't help but to go, yes. You, my life is different. Could we lift our hands that way over the city? And that's what you see reference to. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of, not the city, but the Lord. From the ends of the earth, of the glory to the righteous one. You see, we begin to understand the value of this city when we can get in on the value of God the maker of all cities, the source of a beautiful city, the source of a just city, that one, the Lord. And as we value him, we begin to value different things. Generosity replaces greed. Provision replaces poverty. Godly ambition, and there is such a thing as godly ambition, replaces selfish ambition. An all-person city replaces the elite city, just the dominant culture city. Typically, people that want to hang on to their majority culture don't like cities because cities are diverse, and they force you to give up those things. And you see this in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Excuse me. In the ministry of Jesus, what do you find? You find a, a, a corrupt tax collector 
pulling away from his, pop, from his you know, greed and paying back you know, two, three, four, five times fold of what he had taken. You find people that are invisible in the city getting visibility. Those that were in the margins, Jesus pulls into the spotlight. This is what the ministry of Christ does in a city. And through it, that praise and worship, we're also given a vision of a final city, the ultimate city that God will build. We get a picture of it in the book of Revelation, where it's the city where God is very much present, and it is the beautiful city where he's collected together with his bride, the people, where every tribe, tongue, and nation comes into the city because God will not be content with just one people group. It's a pan-ethnic bride that his heart and love is for. And it says that the nations bring their glory into the city. They bring their gifts. They bring their culture into the city. And then a river runs through it, and there's a tree of life that has leaves for healing. Finally, the sorrow goes away. This is the city that we're headed for, but this is the city that we're supposed to foreshadow in our city. That, for us, is what we understand to be the potential city. And so the song comes in chapter 26. We have a strong city. We have a strong city. What does a strong Washington, D.C. look like? Does it only look like more restaurants, more amenities, nicer looking buildings? Let's not be fooled, people of God. We don't take that bait. We celebrate prosperity. We celebrate building. We celebrate wonderful restaurants. But we don't want just a beautiful city. In the scripture, the just city is the beautiful city. But it's also a peaceful city versus a fearful city. That's the second thing. You notice that the wasted city is described this way. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. All joy has grown dark. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. It's a picture of a fearful city. You can still walk around the neighborhoods of our city and see those homes that have bars. And typically, those are the folks that have lived here long time. They remember the times where the doors needed to be barred. Every door needed to be barred for safety. In the last couple months, as crime has spiked in the district, uh, there's been a new fearfulness among people. Maybe some of you have suffered the trauma of that. We have people in our congregation that have. It can be a concerning thing to us. And yet, also, bars and fences can be used for another way. I live on Capitol Hill, and I remember uh, you know, several years ago, there was an article about Potomac Gardens, which is one of the government housing uh, complexes there. And it was very interesting. It was an argument uh, that... Uh, about a fence around that place, but it wasn't the people outside the fence that wanted to keep it up. It was the people within the fence that wanted to keep it up. And what does that say? It says a, a group of people that feel like, I'm not accepted in the city. I'm not embraced by the broader city, so I'll just keep my fence up. Bars and fences can say a lot. And desolation in the city, we're told it's a city of rubble. You know, it, it, it's possible to have a city that doesn't appear like it's rubble, but for some people it appears like it's rubble because there's no access to resources. One example of that in our city, a great challenge, uh, is housing. 
And, uh, you know, as people struggle to find any sort of housing, maybe you saw the article a couple weeks ago on Congress Heights where the new Washington Wizards facility is being built. And there's an apartment building there, a, a place there that they were spotlighting. And this is a place where residents have really lived in desolation. Uh, this was in the Washington Post. One, one woman says she hasn't had heat in five years and uses her oven for warmth. Another resident said it took five days for the landlord to repair a toilet. She and her family began using a bucket. And the smell of garbage and sewage leaked perpetually from a ground floor apartment that was abandoned more than a year ago. A lawyer from the Washington Legal Clinic of the Homeless said, the only apartments left in D.C. that are affordable, defined as under 800 a month, are subsidized units. The D.C. market is so out of control that if you're displaced from a rent-controlled apartment, it is essentially impossible to find housing. And so a city that is cinched can look like it's shining with things, but desolation for many people that can't get in on it. Instead of this city, we find a vision of a peaceful city that Isaiah gives us here. First of all, he says, peace, peace. That repetition of peace, peace means this is true peace, not false peace. You know, false peace can be a city that would appear that everybody can get access to it. You know, peace in the Bible has a twofold understanding. Uh, in this passage, it does. It's communal peace and personal peace. The Hebrew understanding of peace is shalom. That essentially means communal well-being in all directions. It's well-being for the entire city. So oftentimes, I want this city to serve my peace. You know, I want the metro to work because of my schedule that day. I want the sirens to stop because I want to sit outside my patio and have a little peace. Right? I want my neighbor to throw out their cat litter because it really smells bad on humid days. Right? I want the city to provide me peace. I want it to bow down and give me, me peace. Instead of this understanding that I'm looking out into the city going, how can I help serve the peace of the city. I have this little habit where I begin to pray that prayer out of Jeremiah, pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. Uh, every time I hear the first horn of the day I hear, which typically is as soon as I go outside, you know, ah, Jesus, please bring peace to the city today. And so our churches want to be about a passion that sees peace in the entire city. But it's also personal peace that we're offered here. As I said, it can be frightening to live in a city. It can be a fearful thing. Maybe we're fearful of our safety. Maybe we're fearful of our job security. What we find here, as Isaiah gives us this, is a vision of you can keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Trust in the Lord, the everlasting rock. So this idea that God can help you walk through a city that might be very chaotic and scary, but your mind is just grounded. You have this anchor in this peace by which you're moving through the city. Jesus said to his disciples, literally before all hell broke loose, he gave them these words, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Did you hear that? In me you will have peace. If you and I are trying, we, we try to get peace lots of ways, right? If I could just get to where I want in my career, then I would have peace. 
If I could get to this neighborhood, then I would have peace. If I could get to this you know, place in my bank account, then I would have peace. If I could get this friendship, all these ways from out there, basically what we're saying is city give me peace or circumstance give me peace. And the Christian faith is saying there's a way to have peace that comes from God inside then goes out. Cain, the first brother we hear about in the Bible who killed his brother Abel, went off to build a city out of self-protection because he didn't have the, the, the Lord to protect him. He wouldn't turn to the Lord for protection. And we can do that as well. We can seek to build a city for self-protection. We may even have the thought sometimes, you know, I'm kind of glad the real estate prices are going up because it'll kind of move these troublemakers out of the city. Wouldn't Washington just be a nicer place if all the bad things went away? Trying to build a city of our own self-protection Instead, God says that he might create a peaceful city where you and I aren't looking for a zone of peace in the city, a zip code of peace, but the zip code is in here. It's the peace of heaven. It's the peace of shalom. And so it does this reverse thing where people begin to move into places where they typically wouldn't. We, have a, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary at Grace Downtown this past summer. And one of the testimonies we had came from a dear, dear sister, uh, a woman and her husband. And um, they lived out in McLean, Virginia. And she will often say, I was a Girl Scout mom, uh, living, working, you know, just living life. And my heart was broken by the city. And I moved into the hood. And that's what they did. I mean, this was 12, 15 years ago. They left and they moved into Petworth. And they began to love there. And their house became a magnet for people. And they learned to love the city from their neighbors. They learned about their city from their neighbors. Their neighbors changed them. And so God gave a strange peace. Instead of wanting to live in a place that felt more secure, it sent them into a place, but they enjoyed greater peace. This is the reverse mission of the gospel. Because we trust in the Lord who swallows up death, Isaiah says in chapter 25. And as the New Testament tells us, where does that peace come from? Well, someone has, I recently read this little formula. This is where peace comes from. Thank, prayer plus thanksgiving. That's what you find in Philippians chapter 4. Where Paul's counsel to us about anxiety is this. He says, bring your request to God, but often we forget, he says, and with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the faith part. Thanksgiving is where I'm saying, God, I trust you for this even before you gave it. Prayer plus thanks equals peace. You know, an old Puritan preacher, a guy named Matthew Henry, once got mugged, once got robbed. And this was his thought afterward. He began to thank God for four things. He said, I am thankful that I was never robbed before. I am thankful that although he took my wallet, he did not take my life. I am thankful although he took all I had, it wasn't much. And lastly, I'm thankful that I'm glad that I was, I who was robbed, it wasn't I who was doing the robbing. You know, this is a different vision of how we think about peace. But lastly, the strong city is not only a worshipful city versus a wasted city, a peaceful city versus a fearful city. It is a humble city versus an arrogant city. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low, cast it to the dust. 
Babylon, again, was an amazing great city. And if you've ever read the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, the great emperor of Babylon, once stood and surveyed his Babylon and said, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for my own glory? This is what he said. Uh, God sent him off to the field after that point. Uh, He got to have an experiment in learning how to live like an animal. Uh, God humbled him. But you have to think about this, about the great cities of the world. Babylon, the great kingdoms of Persia, Rome. We even have to think humbly about this nation. The destinies of cities that are proud, they end up in the dust. I was listening to a song last night by the artist Sting. And, uh, you know, he has this song called All, All This Time. It still plays on the radio occasionally. But the last verse says this. Teachers told us the Romans built this place. They built a wall and a temple on the edge of the empire garrison town. They lived and they died. They prayed to their gods, but the stone gods did not make a sound. And their empire crumbled till all that was left were the stones that the workmen found. Yes, that's what happens. Cities come and go. God talks about an eternal city. And ultimately, the reason cities crumble to the ground is pride. Arrogant cities fall to the ground. Oftentimes, people can come to the city to prove their pride. I mean, this is true, right, of us as well. (laughs) We can come to the city to prove our worth. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to prove, I'm going to make my mark and make my career. Or I'm going to go there and show people that I can do the big city. Or I can play with the big boys. I can swim in the big pond. You know, the old song, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. It was about New York, but people singing about Washington as well. We can often come to the city with a pride to prove ourselves or a pride, you know, of just arrogance to say, this is going to be my great playground time, my pleasure time. I mean, if we look deep in our hearts, many times our motives for being in the city are shameful on a day-to-day basis. They're very humbling. I realized that I was drawn to this city to help start a church partly for noble reasons and partly for sinful reasons. You know? I, we, we share the idols of our city, the things in our heart. And uh, the, answer, uh, the answer then isn't to leave, it's to repent. Right? It's to, it's to change your motives. It's not to leave the city. It's to say, I need to repent. And God will use the city to bring us to repentance. I mean, one of the things about the competition in the city, it'll teach you to live by grace. Cities foster a certain level of excellence, a certain level of, you know, competition and drive and ambition. It'll humble you, bring you to your knees. But the good news of the gospel is this, that we have this wonderful Lord of grace that meets us where we are. When we're so proud, what do we find? The high Lord humbles himself to come. He comes and he actually is crucified outside of the city gate, out of the holy city. He's cursed by God, taking our sin and our judgment and our shame upon him. And he is crucified outside of the city where he should have reigned as king, where he should have been lifted up. This is the Lord of grace, humbles himself. He humbles us. He he goes outside the city so we can be in his city. We can live in his heavenly city. We can be brought into his safe haven, his refuge, his place of prosperity. And so that humble city is marked by a few things. First of all, it's marked by people that find their righteousness not in the city but in God. 
It's a group of people that aren't going, my righteousness is going to come by the fact that I'm on, I'm on the lips of important people or I really impress people with my career. But my righteousness comes from the fact that God has made me righteous through Christ. Through his son, he has covered me with his righteousness by grace. And so that creates a humble sort of person in the city. It's a city in verse 10 that says that can mourn over the wicked's response to God's wisdom. You know, churches historically have done weird things in the city. Uh, Some churches in the city basically come there to uh, create a fortress and disdain the city, to lob grenades. And so when the city begins to crumble and fall and there's hardship, there's sort of, ah, I told you so. But here you find the righteous actually mourn. They mourn over the evil and the wickedness and the brokenness of the city and the way the, the way the people's pride hurts them. The righteous can weep over the city. And the righteous can also endure because in verse 7 and following, although the righteous path is made level for the city, this is not the heavenly city yet. The only way I think you can do ministry long term in the city is you have one eye on your city and one eye on the heavenly city. That's the only way. Or you, you, you ride the Washington roller coaster. You know that roller coaster, optimism to cynicism. People come and people come to D.C. because they want to change the world, a lot of people. And what happens, you hit that roller coaster. But after a while, if you're going to stay in the city, that optimism, that you know, naive optimism is going to go bye-bye. And you're going to have to find a way to endure for a long time. And how do you do that? It's the hope of God. God is working in the city. Last um, Two nights ago, I had a chance to uh, go to a ministry celebration of uh, Little Lights. They're a tutoring group on Capitol Hill, and they had their 20th anniversary. And I'll tell you something. Uh, it, it, this unassuming guy, Steve, and his wife, I mean, you could pass him on the street and never think this guy, you know, he's not going to bring any attention to himself, but he stands up there. And what God has done in the lives, I mean, we're talking about job creation. We're talking about kids going off to college. We're talking about volunteers being changed as they enter the lives of people. We're talking about parents being empowered. This beautiful story of 20 years. God is working in our city all the time. He is working through you, the stories I hear about how you're serving your city. And he's planted a bunch of things. God is doing this work. He is building his city. But the gates are open to the righteous who enter in, those that humble themselves. But if we're going to make this change, we're going to have to be here. We're going to have to commit to being here. We're going to have to be fully present here. Even if you know you might have to leave in two years, be here as long as you are here. Be present, and God will work through you. So praise God for the renewed city that he's building, and we'll build. It will culminate. One day, you and I will see the heaven's version of Washington, D.C., and that's going to be a great thing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grand vision for your Son, the Lord of the city, and for your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.